from the screen. Please stand back. All right. Well, turn with me, if you would, this morning over to uh, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. We'll be looking at several different verses uh, this morning. But I wanted to start here and particularly want to uh, look at two, two words. And uh, I mention often here that uh, we know that the Bible teaches us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Uh, therefore, if all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, then that means that they're God's words, right? And if they're God's words, then every word is meaningful. Every word that God has given us is truth. Every word that God has given to us uh, is a revelation of what He wants us to know. And... Uh, we often say it here at our church, and we hope to um, exercise ourselves in the in the uh, following of this. But uh, we often say here that you know we don't go to a creed or a confession or a denomination or a uh, you know a school or whatever to get uh, the doctrine that we believe. Uh, we don't follow after doctrines so that we might fit in a certain category of people or a certain group of people. Uh, our doctrine is determined by what the Bible teaches. We believe what the Bible teaches, and we formulate our beliefs uh, around what the Scripture teaches. Um, that uh, What's the phrase we always use? That the Bible is our only rule of faith and order, right? Right. Uh, the only rule of uh, the doctrine and the practice that we do. Uh, what do we teach and believe about God and about Christ, about ourselves, about salvation, whatever? And how do we carry out that practice and how do we conduct the gathered assembly worship? That's the practice. Okay, that's why we have certain things that we do whenever we baptize, certain ways that we baptize, who we baptize. How we do the Lord's Supper? Well, we do that because we're following the Scriptures. Whenever we teach about a certain doctrine, whether it be justification or whether it be uh, of atonement or whether it be of grace or whatever that might be, we do that because of what the Bible says. And we formulate those doctrines from Scripture, not take a set of doctrines that's been handed down to us under the umbrella of orthodoxy, and say, well, this is what you have to say. Because, listen, there's several confessions of faith that you can go out there. I mean, the Baptists have lots of confessions of faith, and all of them differ. Uh, the Presbyterians have their confessions of faith that have been amended and redone and all that kind of stuff, and everybody else have, has their confessions of faith, their statements of faith, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong for a church to put forth a, a statement of believe this is what we believe the Bible to, to say. But again, as we've learned here over many, many years, uh, that uh, a statement of faith or a confession and creed is only as good as far as it aligns with the Word of God. 
and that it is not the final rule of authority in anything. Uh, we do not base anything off of a confession or a creed. Now, with that said, I stand up here week after week and say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says. And many people say, well, there you go. That's a confession. You're confessing what the Bible says. And all we're doing is writing down <laughs> what we believe the Bible is saying. That's true. But I often also tell you every week, don't listen to me, don't trust me, don't take my word for it because I'm saying it. Don't sit, believe it because of, I, the Baptists say it. Don't believe it because, you know, sovereign grace people say it, or old school Baptists believe it, or primitive Baptists believe it. Does the Word of God say that? Okay? So, only listen to me as far as I am telling the truth on the Scriptures. Okay? So, there's a difference in confessing what one believes the Bible to say and what is the truth. My confession of what I think this says is not the truth. The truth is this right here. Okay? So, me saying what I interpret to be the truth is not truth. It's only truth if it is what this is saying. And so, whenever we start looking at confessions of faith and we start looking at all these things... Man, there's all kinds of verses written underneath them things, right? You go to the 1647, you go to the 1689, you go to the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, the Philadelphia Confession of Faith, the Southern Baptist Confessions of Faith. All these confessions of faith all have, down below them, under each one of their headings and topics that they're talking about, they'll have 10, 5, 15, 20, however many verses to support what they're saying this particular doctrine is saying, right? So everybody has their doctrines, but yet I can go through and I look at every one of those confessions of faith. And even though some of them, all of them have something good in there that I could say, I agree with that, I agree with that. Every one of them confessions of faith, I can look and say, I don't agree with that. Even though all those Bibles and people often do and none of them they'll take Look at all the Bibles. What do you think about them Bibles? I say, what do you Bibles? They take Bibles, they place them, they've done, but they've misplaced those Bible verses as far as my understanding and the light that's been given to me and understanding has been given to me. I may be there. Don't trust me. Don't trust Dr. So-and-so. Don't trust Confession of Faith writer so-and-so. you got to go to the Holy Spirit and Said, but that about faith and everything is the fact that anybody can take verses of scripture and apply what they want to apply to what is want to back up. Everything has to be revealed. Everything has to be taught of God. And therefore, whenever we come to the scriptures to learn of the scriptures. Every word of God's word, unless God gives us, unless God gives us a, a deliverance, ignorance, I use the right way some insult. We are fact. In fact, do it. That could be. I mean, I'm not saying. That they are not, they are 
God delivered them from their parents or that unbelief can walk in that only the life in them. You cannot uh, anything Steve to do trying to have Bible fun. presuppositions, and I know that's hard because we're all filled with presuppositions. Me and Brother Larry were just talking about that this morning. We were talking about something, and it was like he asked me a question. I was like, well, you know, yeah, I believe that, but the, re the way reason I believe that is because I've always been told that, so I, I, let me look. And so we got to looking, and we had to kind of convince ourselves in Scripture of what we already thought we knew, right? That's how often we, listen, I after coming to the doctrines of grace, however many years ago it's been now, after coming to the doctrines of grace, whenever I was seeing how blind I was to the gospel growing up and preaching for so long, preaching a false gospel on how people were saved and how we come to, to grace and everything like that, after that, I, I just, man, if I'm wrong at that, then I could be wrong on a lot of things. Take me back and let's go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? Now, one of the key things that is prevalent in the majority of quote-unquote Christianity is this notion that we have a free will. Brother Larry's wrote a book on it called The Lies of Free Will or Free Will of the Lies. I can't remember now how the title goes. Uh, Brother Larry's wrote a book on it. Very good book. If you don't have it, pick it up <coughs> on all his platforms he's out there all over the world somewhere and but anyway he goes through and he systematically goes through and shows you a lot of things on how believing in free will disseminates the the thought of you know sovereignty and the, the the thought of uh, predestination atonement all this kind of stuff and then where some of these errors popped up and everything throughout history it's a topic that is he hotly debated but as vast as the debate is on all these things and as much as our default system yearns to have free will and desires to have free will 
we do not have a free will. The Bible teaches that we do not have a free will. Matter of fact, this very thing is what sets our church apart from most churches that are out there. Is because most churches out there, their whole entire, their whole entire evangelical gospel machine all runs on the gas of free will. If man doesn't have a free will, then their whole mechanism comes to a grinding halt. If free will is not true, then everything that they're doing, everything that they're preaching, and everything that they are trying to accomplish comes to a grinding halt. And so a lot of people ask us, you know, what, you know, matter of fact, I was asked when we first come to Joplin, I uh, had lunch with a, with a man and invited me over to teach at their church. And uh, I went and talked to a men's group over there. And one of the questions that they asked me was, why another church? We're a Baptist church. Why don't you just come to our church? Why come and start a new church? I said, well, first, I didn't start the church. Uh, the, the, the church was started by Christ. And second of all, I wasn't here whenever he brought the people together that's meeting. Uh, they just called me to be pastor, so I don't, didn't have a hand in any of it. But the reason for another church is because what we believe and what you believe is diametrically opposed. What we believe and what you believe uh, is so far in opposites that there is, can be no fellowship. The Bible tells us that we are to withdraw ourselves, to remove ourselves from churches that are preaching and teaching these false gospels, that are preaching and teaching these false Jesuses and, 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 uh, and, and conducting church in a false way. And so we have another church because at the time we didn't find anybody in this town, at least the, the people that was here, didn't find anywhere in this town that was holding to the New Testament church, to the New Testament gospel, and to the New Testament Jesus. So here we are. And therefore, I went in about five days of trying to explain that and why we are different. Um, why are we different? Why is free will uh, this thing that separates us from everybody else? Well, it's because God in His grace has given us to understand the truth of the Scripture. And unfortunately, um, and sadly, uh, to our hearts because most of our loved ones and our family, our friends, are still caught up in the lies of free will. Uh, but let's look at what the scripture says. Uh, that's kind of the whole gist of what I wanted to talk about today is why have we separated from everybody? Why do we make such a distinction? Why is it that we have become sectarian, if you want a 50 cent word? Why have we become sectarian? Why have we removed ourselves from our friends and our family? Why can we not have gospel fellowship with the ones that we, that we love in the flesh? Why can't we have that fellowship? Why can't we have that unity? Why can't we, you know, go to each other's churches and just, you know, everybody's loving Jesus and uh, uh, loving on each other? You know, what was the old Gaither song? Loving God, loving each other. You know, we our group used to sing that that I used to be in. We used to sing that all the time. And that is a wonderful song. I think, hey, I think that's a great song for 
the true church of Jesus Christ. You know, loving God and loving each other. That's the two things and all the law and the commandments hang on those two things, right? But why is there a separation? Is free will, is this something that we are following after a man named John Calvin? Well, no. To be honest with, and I'm just going to go on record, I know I've said it before though, but I'm going to go on record, I could care less what John Calvin says. Matter of fact, to be honest, here I am, I'm a guy that believes in the doctrines of grace, a sovereign grace preacher, and I've probably read about that much John Calvin. I've probably met, read that much John Owen. I've probably read about that much uh, Knox, uh, all these other Puritans. I've read about that much of them, so their influence on me is not that great. Did I read them when I first came to the Doctrine of Grace? Yeah, because I wanted to know what this new thing that the Lord was showing me in the Scripture was all about. And other men that knew about it. I want, but as I began to read them, I began to disagree with them. This is the only place that I can find comfort to know. This is where truth is. I love Larry. And I think Larry preaches and teaches a lot of good stuff, but I can't go to Larry. I can't go to my grandpa. I can't go to my brothers and sisters and I can't go to my mom and my dad I can't go to my best friend listen I have preacher friends brother Royce and brother JC and uh, 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 all the other brothers that I, we fellowship with and everything down through the years and everything like this hey I love those men but I can't go to them because I disagree with all of them on certain things we all have different understandings of things and that doesn't mean that I just disregard everybody we, we all at least have the gospel that we agree to on that but if they don't have the gospel, I can't fellowship with that. I can't go and be a part of whatever they're preaching as long as it comes down. And whenever it all boils down, it all boils down to free will. We don't agree on what the Bible teaches about free will and how a person is saved. Many people believe that we have a free will to make a decision for Jesus to make a decision and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and make Him the Lord of our life. To whenever he knocks on the door, we have to open it and let him in. You know, all the little euphemisms, come down to the front of the church, shake the preacher's hand, whatever. All those things that are, that are said that we have to do, that all revolves around the fact that, or the, or the presupposition that people have, that we have a free will, that God has done all that he can do, and now he's offering this salvation to you, and in offering that to you, you have to reach out your hand and take it. He's offering the gift, but a gift isn't ever a gift unless you reach out and take it to you. These are all things I heard growing up, all things that I used to preach from the pulpit. But brethren, nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about receiving that gift. Now it talks about receiving but not in the fact of reaching out and grabbing and taking it. It means that we have received it in the fact that it has been freely given to us and has been freely applied in us and to us. We didn't do anything for it. I'll give you the illustration before. I can go over there and I can sock Zach right in the eye and give him a black eye. He received a black eye from me. He didn't do anything for that. He didn't have to ask for it. He didn't ram his head into my fist. I hit him in the eye, he got a black eye. He received a black eye. Freely. And if he back talks, he'll get another one. No, I'm just kidding. You might want to turn the camera and show Zach. I didn't hit him, people. He doesn't have a black eye. But it all comes down to free will. Everybody believes free will is at the heart 
of coming to Jesus Christ. And if free will is the hinge pin on which salvation lies and swings, okay, if God has done everything that he can, and man just has to, by his free choice, and I'm going to use those two terms because I, I, I've had conversations with people who try to make a distinction between free will and free choice. There is no difference between free will and free choice. To choose something is to choose something because you will to do something. Your will to do something and your choice to do something, that's the same thing, okay? You're not getting off the hook by, well, that's the hot topic word, free will, so I'm going to use free choice, okay? We choose because the Bible says choose you this day, so we're going to use the term choose. Free will and free choice are the same thing, so I'll use those interchangeably, but... It comes down to God's done it. He's offered it. He wants to give it to you. His desire is for you to have it. His pleasure is for you to be saved. You have to reach out and choose it and accept it. That means that salvation and in all its dynamic is left up to one little thing. And that's your choice. So that means all of salvation and all of what it is has accomplished, will accomplish, is accomplishing, all of it is steamrolling with the gas of free will. Brothers, if you take that gas out, then you don't have any moving vehicle. You don't have any gospel. If you take free will out, you do not have a gospel anymore. Your gospel is void because your fuel is free will. You've got to have the free will. Someone, someone has to go and preach. It's all by the work of the man. The choice of the man to become a preacher. To, to be surrendered to God. To go to... The, the natives to go to the cities, to the urban areas, to go to the rural areas, wherever God is, is, is wanting people to be saved, i got to make a choice to, to become a preacher and to go and save them. i got to make a choice to learn everything that there is to learn, to go to school, to get educated, to go to whatever. I've got to make a choice to preach this message this week and this message this week and this message this week so that everybody can hear everything that needs to be heard. Heard. I gotta make a choice to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and then I have to make a choice to every day to live according to His law. And then every day I gotta make a choice to deny myself and to pick up my cross and to follow Him, and every day it's a choice, it's a choice, it's a choice. Everything is fueled by free will. If it isn't, if free will isn't in charge, if free will isn't fueling, then everything comes to a screeching halt. Preaching comes to a screeching halt. The ministry comes to a screeching halt. Save, saving comes to a screeching halt. People's lives come to a screeching halt. Everything comes to a screeching halt if free will is taken out of your world system, your gospel system. Everything comes to a screeching halt. But it's only in the truth, the true gospel, the true churches, the true preaching, the true preachers, where free will can be completely and totally absent and void as the Bible teaches, 
Free will can be completely and totally not even regarded as it comes to salvation. And the glory of God moves on. The church of Christ moves on. Salvation moves on. Exaltation of Christ moves on. Everything continues to move on to its intended end, which is the complete and total glorification and magnification of Jesus Christ. And there doesn't have to be free will at all even spoken of ever. And it continues to fuel. Because it's not fueled by man, it's fueled by God. It's not fueled by works, it's fueled by grace. It's a gospel that is fueled by grace and not works. If it's fueled by works, then there is a place for man to falter and now it becomes defunct. But if everything is taken out of the hands of man, if everything has nothing to do with any condition of man, then it can't ever falter and it will be victorious. Look with me if you would at 1 Timothy chapter 6. In verse 15. <clears throat> I don't know if most people are aware of this or not, but in our King James Bible, the word sovereign is not found one time in the whole entire Bible. And I've actually had many people say, you're preaching stuff that's not even found in the Bible. You're preaching stuff that's not in the Bible. The word sovereign. Now we know that this term is not found in the Bible. That doesn't mean that the teaching of it's not. That's why I chose to go here first. Probably the most plainest place in all of Scripture, I think. Now, now there's other places. We're going to read some other verses here. But probably the most plainest place that shows that there is only one who is sovereign is found here in 1 Timothy 6.15. It says... And I'm going to start with the second part of the verse. It says, Who is the blessed and only... Now this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ here. We're speaking of Christ. Who is the blessed and only potentate? Those are the two words that I want us to look at. The only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, unto whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. The only potentate. Now, do we all know what the word potentate means? I kind of had an idea of what it meant. I went ahead and looked it up just for... Uh, just to make sure that I wasn't rednecking it and thinking up my own definition. But the, the word potentate actually means someone who has all power, all control, someone who is over all things. A potentate is a king, like it, well, it says king of kings, but a potentate was normally referred to as the highest person in government. The highest one. Okay? 
He is the one who is in complete and total charge. This right here, the Bible says that he is the only potentate. Then that means there's no other potentates. If he's the only, he didn't say he was the greatest potentate. It didn't say that he was the, the highest ranked. One of many. It said he was the only potentate. So that means that he is the only one with sovereignty. Nobody else has sovereignty. We talk about the United States being a sovereign nation. And it has its connotation, its connotation, its context. We're not saying that it has all power. It has, we declare ourselves to be sovereign as the fact that we have power over our own country and we don't, you know, nobody controls us outside of our country, which is a lie, by the way. Uh, but that's for another day and another story. Christ is the only potentate. Now, if he is the only potentate, that word potentate also means sovereign. He is the only sovereign. So that means Christ is the only one who has sovereignty. Now, we know that the word sovereignty means the one who has all power, all control. Now, for one to have free will, his will must be sovereign over all other wills. To say that I have free will means that there is no restraint on my will. And that my will can overcome anybody else's will. Makes sense, right? Free will means that my will is completely free. Let's say free choice. My choice is completely free. Meaning that my choice can supersede and overcome anybody else's choice. My choice is the sovereign. My will is the sovereign. Nothing controls my will. Nothing controls my choice. I am accountable and responsible for my own choice and my own will. That's what people say, right? Well, the Bible says there's only one potentate. The Bible says there is only one sovereign. And I know, I used to say it, I used to preach it, and I still hear it today. God in His sovereignty has allowed us to have free will. That is a misguided, dumb, garbaged saying. That is dumb. I used to say it. I used to say dumb things. That is dumb. That cannot be. That is a contradiction in terms, a contradiction in truth. You cannot have one who is sovereign and someone who is given sovereignty below him. There cannot be two who have sovereign wills. One's will is subservient to the other's. You say, well... What about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? They have the same will. They're sovereign. They're one God, too. Not three gods. They're one God. And in speaking of the only potentate, by the way, it says Christ is the only potentate. 
So that God is manifested in the man Christ Jesus. Manifested in the God-man, the only mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. He is God in flesh. Emmanuel. He is the everlasting God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Comforter. He is the He is the Word of God made flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead is in Him bodily. If you've seen the Father, you've seen Him. His Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Everything that has to do with the Godhead is all wrapped up in one God, one man, Jesus Christ. He is the only God. He's the only potentate. And He's the only one that has sovereignty. Did Jesus take a place of servanthood in His time in ministry as our substitute? Yes, He did. Philippians tells us that. But remember, Christ did not think it robbery to be equal with God in doing so. But He took on the form of a servant. He isn't a servant in the, in the full aspect of He is below us. He took on the form of a servant. He took on the role of a servant. He took on the exercise of a servant to accomplish all that God had purposed in salvation of His people. He took on that form. But He still was all God. He was the only potentate. And for one to have a free will, He must be a potentate. He must be a sovereign. He must have sovereignty over all other wills. If his will is equal to or in any way subservient or succumb or thwarted by another's will, then he is no longer sovereign. If God has a will and that will is not done, if God wills something and somebody's other will can say, no, I'm not going to do that, then their will is now sovereign over God's will. He is no longer the only potentate. The one who not only governs all wills, but overrides all wills, is the only one considered a sovereign. See, we'll say, oh, well, we, we believe God governs everyone's wills he, with His providence. But we... we, we when people say that, they mean, well, men choose what they want to do and then God turns it around to fit His purpose somehow. Works that out. He works all things after, after the counsel of His own will. So we have our wills, but once we will against God, then God works that out somehow and configures everything out. Well, if God... Well, let's just think about this for a minute. And I'm getting off track. Just think about this for a minute. So if, if man does something, he wills to do something that God didn't want done. And God looks at that and says, well, that's not what I wanted to do. This is what I want done. So I'm going to work out the circumstances after this so that it will still work out the way that I wanted it to work out. Then is not God conforming all other wills then to line out to where it still gets to where he wants to go? Yes. 
So did that person actually go against God's will? No. All that meant was God purposed that man not willing so that the accomplishment of something else might take place. <coughs> Preacher, you got any facts for that? Yep, if you'll hold on, I'm going to get to it. Lord willing, I hope we get to it. So truly, free will means sovereign will. I don't think, I don't think we can deny that fact. To have free will means that we have sovereign will. Free will means that there is nothing binding my will. Free will means that it can do as it pleases. Free will means that it will accomplish anything that it desires to accomplish. That's what free will means. And people just spout this off all the time. I used to spout it off all the time. Free will, free will, free will. Free will means I am sovereign over all other wills. That's the only way my will can be free. Now the reformed man is going to come in and say, Well, preacher, you're partly right. But we do have free will according to our nature. Our will is dictated by our nature. Therefore, before we're born again, all we can do is sin. But once we're born again, now we have the ability to reject and refuse and to, and to deny that fleshly man and to follow after and to obey God and to do all these things. And so we have free will in accordance with our will. We can't come to Christ until we're born again, but once we're come, born again, then we can freely choose to come to Christ and freely will to do this or that. Brethren, we have we no more have free will after we've been born from above than we did before. We have no more free will. God governs the old man, natural man, as much as he does the spiritual man. God governs who we are on the on the Adamic level or on the Christolic level. He ordains all things, controls all things. There is still no will that that subverts him. A will cannot be free if it does not have power to accomplish everything that it wills. If it does not have the power to accomplish all that it desires, it cannot be free. It cannot do what it wants to do. Therefore, you don't have free will. You say, well, I still think we have free will, though, preacher. You're kind of pressing that down. Well, let me give you a few examples. In Romans chapter 7, Paul, by the way, after he was converted, he wrote this. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. 
For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Paul here is saying, I think I have a will to do something, but I can't do it. I love the law of God. I delight in the law of God in my inward man. And I desire to keep this law, but guess what? I can't do it. Wait a minute, Paul. You got free will. If you got free will, why can't you just quit sinning? You got free will, why don't you obey those laws? You got free will moment by moment. Second by second. Can you quit? Can you not sin for a second? Can you not sin for a minute? Can you not sin for an hour? Well, if you can not sin for an hour, can you not sin for uh, uh, an afternoon? If you can not sin for an afternoon, can you not sin for a day? Well, if you cannot sin for a day, then why don't you make it a week? If it's all about just yielding ourselves, then how come you don't yield? Why is it that not one Christian, not one person who has ever walked on the face of this earth, except Jesus Christ, has ever willed to quit sinning? Why have they not willed to yield continually? Do you love your sin more than you love Jesus? Well, if so, why don't you will yourself to quit loving that? You see what I'm saying, brethren? I know it sounds silly. And I know some people are going to say that's stupid arguments. But those are, to me, in my mind, at least to this simpleton, are valid arguments. Why can I not even will? You're telling me that I have the will to change my whole entire destiny and to make God the Lord of my life, the King of my That I don't have my own will to yield to Him all that He is deserving of. I don't have the will to do that, but I have the will to change my whole entire destiny. I have the will to be holy. I have the will to be sanctified. <clears throat> What's up with that? Because sin is still in me. You don't have a free will, number one, because you're not God. Number two, because you are a sinner. <coughs> Excuse me. You can give me a lozenge or something. Be scanty. Let's think about Jonah. Did Jonah have a free will? You're an evangelical out there. You need to say, yes, Jonah had free will. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh preach. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach. He didn't think they were worthy to be preached to or to be saved. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. So what did he do? He hopped a ship to Tarshish. I'm going to go this way, God. You want me to go to Nineveh? I'm going that way. What happened? Was it just an accident? <clears throat> That where that boat was at, there happened to be this huge fish. Thank you. Was it by accident that Jonah was the one who ended up over the boat? 
was it by accident that that fish was able to swallow Jonah? I mean, how many, how many fishes are out there that can swallow a whole man whole and him stay alive, by the way? And it just so happened that fish was coming along where Jonah was thrown over. Was it by accident that that fish swam all the way to Nineveh and just happened to get a sick stomach and herb up Jonah alive and well onto the shores of Nineveh? And did Jonah not go and preach to those in Nineveh? Did Jonah have a free will? I don't think he did. Did Jonah rebel against God? Yes, he did. Did Jonah, so to speak, go against God's will? Well, from our perspective and his perspective, yes, he did. But did he? No, he didn't. He went exactly the course in which God determined. Jonah devised his ways, but God directed his path. What about Pharaoh? How many, how many times did Pharaoh announce that he was going to let the people go? Did he? No, he didn't. He said, okay, I'm going to let them go. Then what happened? He sat down and watched a little TV and thought, you know what, this is dumb. Come here, go, never mind, go tell them to. Did he sit down and calculate the costs and say, wait a minute, no, what happened? The Bible said God hardened his heart. Did Pharaoh rebel against God? Absolutely he did. Did Pharaoh go against God's will? Let my people go. He did. He went against God's will to let his people go. For a little while. Did he let his people go? Absolutely. Were they delivered? Absolutely. Exactly how God had planned on doing it. But look. If you go back to the beginning, God said, go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go, but he's not going to because I'm going to harden his heart. And I'm going to show him signs, and I'm going to show him wonders that my name might be exalted. The whole facade, as someone might think it is, the whole facade was done, but that whole entire thing was orchestrated by God of Hardening and softening, hardening and softening, hardening and softening, hardening and softening, taking the king's heart and turning it in his hands as the rivers of water, wherever he wanted it to go, so that God might be exalted and his power made known. Did Pharaoh have a will, free will? No, his will did exactly what God wanted it done. What about uh, Abimelech? Remember Abimelech? He was the king that uh, whenever Abraham came in, he was afraid and, and he said that Sarah was his sister. Abimelech took Sarah in. She was beautiful. Took him in. Going to make, him his, make, make her his wife. But what happened? His intent was to take him as his wife, but God didn't let him. God changed his will. For some reason, Abimelech didn't lay with Sarah. And then after it was all said and done, Abimelech raised up and said, In my integrity, I didn't ever touch the woman. And God told him what the true story was. Did Abimelech not touch Sarah? Absolutely, he did not touch Sarah. He didn't lay with Sarah, who was another man's wife, even though he didn't know that. And in somewhat truthfulness, Abimelech, in his integrity, 
didn't do that. He had yet to do that. He was planning on doing it, but he didn't do that. And why didn't he do that? Because God governed his will and didn't let him do that. Why? So that God would be made known. God controlled Abimelech's will. We could go on and on. Nebuchadnezzar, was it Nebuchadnezzar's will to walk on all four legs, to eat grass with the beasts? Was that his will? No, Nebuchadnezzar said, that wasn't my will. That God does whatever he wants in the armies of the heavens. But not Saul. Apostle Paul, as he was known as Saul before his conversion. Saul, what was he doing? He was dead straight on his way to Damascus. I'm going to go, I'm going to round up the Christians. We're going to persecute them if they don't come nicely. We're going to kill them. Whatever. He already had killed some. He had already thrown others in jail. He was on his way to Damascus, bound and determined to go in this thing called the way. What happened? On the road to Damascus, Jesus came down, preached him a nice little gospel sermon, and offered him an invitation to come forward to the altar and put all of his burdens on the altar and accept him as Lord and Savior of his life and to make him the Lord of his life, to sign a card and become a member of the church through baptism. Is that what Jesus did? Give him the offer of salvation? But I'm not going to push you. I'm a gentleman. I would never make you. Now what happened to Paul? The Lord struck him down right on the road to Damascus, showed him who he was and said, Paul, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why do you persecute me? Paul didn't argue. Paul didn't say, you know, he said, get up, you're going to go, and you're going to talk to this guy that I've already let him know ahead of time you're coming. Well, wait a minute. You didn't ask me if I was wanting to go there. You didn't even ask me if I wanted to be a Christian. And here you are, you told me you've already... Planned out my whole entire life, and even my death. You planned out my death. No, Paul didn't have any say so in that. He didn't have a will in that. Now, <clears throat> do we have scripture to back a lot of this stuff? Besides those stories that I give you, <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 4 and in verse 34. It's that account about Nebuchadnezzar that I was just talking to you about. But I want you to read what Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Again, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. These are God's words. And I believe what Nebuchadnezzar said here, he didn't say, this isn't just a recording of what Nebuchadnezzar said, and Daniel wrote it down, just the quote of Nebuchadnezzar. Now that does happen in scripture sometimes that the writer will write down what someone said, and what someone said may not be truth as far as the truth about what happened or about something, you know. But it is truth in the fact that God's Word is truth and that we're learning what was actually happening. But anyway, Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 34. It says, Now this is after Nebuchadnezzar had been made to walk like a beast, on his four legs, or on all fours, to eat grass 
The Bible said that the dew come all over him, and that his hair grew out like uh, eagle's feathers, um, and uh, that he grew claws like uh, eagle or something like that. Um, it said, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and my understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose domain is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. That is a sock in our carnal face. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Now, brethren, you say, well, what about the elect of God? Brethren, are we not, as the elect of God, not of this world? Yes, we have the Adamic man, the outward man, this fleshly man. But the child of grace who was the seed of Christ, who was in him before the foundation of the world, that person is not of this earth. He's born from heaven. He may be an inhabitant of the earth in this vessel of clay, but his home is not of this earth. His home is with Christ. His home is wherever he is. His home is not earth, it's heaven. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will. What did Nebuchadnezzar realize? God doeth according to his will. In the army of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, that means that there is nothing created. Because the only thing that's been created is either in heaven or in earth. That's everything. Okay? Heaven or earth. Now a lot of people want to say outer space. Heaven and earth. The Bible says one day that heaven and earth will pass away. New heaven and a new earth. Well, it doesn't say Andromeda. It doesn't say wherever else. It says heaven and earth. Because that's what God has made, is heaven and earth. He said, He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. So his will works and is he does whatever he wants to do among everything in heaven and among all the inhabitants of the earth. And it says here, none, whether in heaven or in earth, can stay his hand or stop him from doing what he wants to do. Nothing can stop him. So when we thought that Jonah was stopping God, he wasn't stopping God. Paul in persecuting the church was not stopping God. Some say, well, he stopped you for a while. No, he didn't. It says here, none can stay his hand. If it happened, it happened because his hand wanted it to happen. You say, well, God's the author of sin then. You need to read your Bible more. It says, none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? We don't have the right to ask the question. Look at Psalm 135. 
Psalm 135. Look with me if you would, verse 6. It says, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deep places. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He. Whose will is sovereign, brethren? It's the Lord's will. He does whatever He wants. Um, go back to uh, Psalm 115. Verse 3. <clears throat> but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Isaiah 46.10. Verse 9. So, sorry, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Brethren, according to those verses right there, the only potentate is the one who has sovereignty. Therefore, he is the only one that has free will. His will is the only one that's unbound, unfettered. His will is the only one that can literally do whatever it wants to do. But see, the other thing is, is the Bible says that He is almighty. That means He has all power. So He not only has all authority, He has all power. Therefore, that makes a free will. If you remember, I mentioned earlier that for one to have free will, or to be a sovereign will, you not only have to be able to do as you please, but have the power to overcome all others so that you can do whatever you want to do. The reason that God can do whatever He wants to do is because He has the power to put down all other wills and make His will exactly their God. All things in from the and I'm bringing every bit of that to pass, and none can stay in my hand. Why? Because I control everything in the armies of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay in my hand. I will do all my pleasure. I will do everything that I please to do. My will, I, I function after the counsel of my will, not your will. That's what God is saying to us. That's what God has revealed to us. That's the story of free will. The story of free will is not man. The story of free will is a sovereign God. That's the story of free will. If you want to preach free will, preach it all day long. But preach that it's God that has free will, not you. Man doesn't have free will or choice. Only God does. Listen, men walk around thinking that they have free will and thinking that they have free choice because they make choices every day. Because they choose to do something or not to do something. Okay? They, 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 they think they can do whatever they want. But what does the Scripture say? Let's look. 
Proverbs. Proverbs. Chapter 21. Sorry guys, I went from having a dry, scratchy throat to now this... Here's got my mouth watering so much. Can't hardly keep my saliva from coming out. Proverbs 21.1, I, mean, I quoted this earlier. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever they let him. Is that what it says? No, it says he turns it wheresoever he wills. So, again, I've mentioned this before when we've talked about this verse. If, the king, if, the, if, if God can do that in the heart of a king who is supposedly a sovereign, if God can do that to a king's heart, can he not do that to all the rest of our hearts? Absolutely he can. God does that to whoever he wants. Why? Because his will is free. God is sovereign. He is the only potentate. We're not. We're reputed as nothing. And he does whatever so he wills in the armies of the heaven and among the heavens of the earth, and none of us can stay his hand. That's why we don't have free will is because God has not given us free will. God has, God has in His infinite, whoever He is, whatever He is, however He functions, God has determined that He and He alone is the only potentate. And that He and He only is the only God and there is none else. He is the I Am. He is the self-existent one. He is not controlled by anything or outside force outside of himself. It's his counsel and his counsel only that stands. Therefore, everything else cannot, does not, will not control him. Therefore, their wills are not free. Their choices are not free. They're all determined by God. Now, brother, this isn't, again, this isn't some theological system that I'm trying to follow. This comes from studying God's Word and not just listening to snippets of sermons of men that try to tell you every week what you have to do. I posted something on Facebook this week. The self-righteous like to preach do. Those who have been imputed righteousness preach done. There's a difference. Why are we different? Why is this church segregated from all other churches that's, that's out there in the mainstream? Why is it that we are, are um, careful who we fellowship with? Why is it that we don't do all these questions that I asked earlier? Because we have different Gospels. We have different viewpoints on who God is. We have a different viewpoint on what Christ has accomplished. Theirs is a God who is still trying to save people. Ours is God has saved. There's is a God who is thwarted in all the things that he does because man is given free will. <coughs> so God wants things done, but it doesn't get done because men choose to do different. We have a God that has ordained all things after the counsel of his own, own will, who has declared all things the end from the beginning, who is controlling all things, and he says, I've spoken it, I will bring it to pass, I will do it. We believe in an almighty God. We believe in an all-powerful God. We believe in an only potentate. Therefore, free will is a myth. Free will in man is a fallacy. 
Look if you would at Jeremiah 10. Verse 23. Jeremiah writes, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Now there you go. You think you're making free will and free choices? But the Bible here clearly says it is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. What does the Bible say about how man does and walks? Well, if we go back to Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 110, it's at verse 3, it says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Thy people shall be willing in the day of the power. If we're talking about salvation, that is. Right? If we're talking about salvation, thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Matter of fact, uh, um, in Larry's book that I mentioned earlier, uh, I was uh, uh, honored to be able to write the foreword for him in that. And in that, I took this very verse and broke this verse apart. That we are made willing in the day of His power. Do we will? Yes, we willed, but that will wasn't free. I didn't choose to come to Christ whenever I wanted to choose to come to Christ. I came to Christ because God made me willing to come. His, he turned my heart as the rivers of water. He directed me. Lastly, let's look at Proverbs chapter 19. In verse 21. The question is, is, does man have free will or free choice? And the Bible says here, <clears throat> there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. See, man devises everything in his heart, but the counsel of the Lord shall stand. God directs every move, every step, every thought. So free will is sovereign will. And brethren, there is only one who is sovereign, and that's God. He is the only potentate. Therefore, he is the only one that has free will. Men's will are all governed, directed, controlled by God. We don't have will to choose our own destinies. We don't have will to do anything. Everything that we do today, everything that's being accomplished in this life is all because God is directing all things after the counsel of His own will and has declared it as such and is bringing it in His own power because He said He was the one who was going to do it by His providence. We talked about that a few weeks ago. <coughs> by His providence, He makes sure that everything happens exactly according to that will. Now you can argue against that till you're blue in the face. And you can think you're arguing to God and going to change something, but you're not. Because he said, none can stay my hand or even say unto me, why doest thou? 
You're not going to get an answer back whenever you ask that question to God. You can ask that question all, the, all day long, and He does not have to give you an answer. However, one of these days, you're going to stand before Him, and you will see the only potentate in His glory, and you will immediately know <laughs> why you can't ask that question. Because you are not God. <laughs> Neither am I. Alright, does anybody have a question or a comment? Anything you'd like to Amen. add? <laughs> Amen. I take it that you agree with that. Any corrections or rebukes? Alright, well, pray that this not only been uh, enlightening to some, but maybe it's been an encouragement to others. Hopefully one day, like, like me, it wasn't an encouragement all my life. I hated that. I hated what I just preached. I hated men who preached that. But now it's a comfort to me. Why? Because that's who God is. And if I'm His, if I'm truly born from above and everything, and I'm given love that's been shed abroad in my heart, it's a love for the God of this Bible. Because God's only revealed Himself here. But He doesn't reveal Himself through Prophet Hezekiah, Walker, Jackson... You know, pop off hen or whoever, you know, whatever their names are, Creflo Dollars and all those people out there. He doesn't reveal himself in new way. No, he's revealed himself here. And so to the child of grace that the love of God has been shed abroad in their heart, they love the God that is revealed in Scripture. And therefore, why do we find comfort in the fact that we don't have a free will? So you just mean you're all right with being a puppet, being a robot, being a, you know, I'm all right with being clay. The Bible says that we are clay in the hands of God. That's who He is. That's who we are. And I find comfort to know that God's controlling it all. And if He chooses to do this with His lump of clay or this with His lump of clay, that's His choice to do. And if the Bible says that there is nothing that we can do about that, then there is nothing I can do about that. And all my preaching against it, all my hatred and vitriol towards it, and all my trying to subvert God in doing whatever He wants to do, is still for naught. Matter of fact, everything is coming to its purposed end. And that is to continue to heap coals of fire upon the head of whoever decides that they want to do that. And it's bringing judgment against them. It's all it's doing. So to the child of grace, we find comfort in this message. We find comfort that God controls all things and that we don't have to do anything. That doesn't mean we don't do things. We don't have to do this or that to be accepted, to be saved, to do this or that. God is the one directing it all. Some may say, well... Okay, Sarah, Sarah, huh? I say, not my will, but thy will be done. Is that what the Lord taught us to pray? Not my will, but thy will be done? On earth, as it is in heaven? Let thy will be done in earth, as thy will is done in heaven. Where you're at, right now, what's happening, 
according to the scriptures, at least, all we know, we don't know the full gamut of it, but we got a glimpse of it in Daniel, we got a glimpse of it in Revelation, but we know now that there are angels that are serving around the throne of God, and there's night and day singing, Holy, Holy, the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of His glory. They're all serving Him, doing what He has designed them and desired for them to do. And whatever's going on in heaven, nothing's happening that He doesn't want to not happen or to happen. It's all happening the way exactly as He planned. But guess what? So as it is down here. That's why the Lord taught us to pray. Now my will be done, but thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Not that we're giving Him control. We're not giving Him control either. We're praying that our mind, our heart, our desires would be given to rest in knowing thy will be done not the desires of my will I can only see so far I can't see past today I can't see what's going to happen this afternoon my wills and my desires are fettered but God isn't why would we not want his will to be done he's the most wise God he's a righteous God He's a holy God. He's good, merciful. All these things that we talk about God, He is that, so why wouldn't we think that His wisdom is enough? So, okay, you're the most wise person, and you say that you work in all things to the good of them who are the called, who love you, or the called according to your purpose. Hey. Whatever you want to do, that's great with us. We trust you. Whatever you want to do. Whatever's happening, we know it's for you and and for our glory. Our good and your glory. Alright. Nobody has anything? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you today for your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. Once again, Father, we thank you for this time together, for the Word of God, for the revelation of who God is. We thank you, Father, that you do control all things and we find blessed assurance and blessed comfort in the fact that you are God and there is none else. That you have um, declared all things the end from the beginning, from ancient times, and none can stay your hand. Therefore, none of 